The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the donate button on the website or in the show notes. This is Ivarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. Every photographer's journey is a very different one. That's one of the fascinating things about this show, is that I get to discover the different paths and choices that each photographer has made to get where they are. We often just see the end result, be it an exhibition, a book, or for some, a certain level of fame. But between the moment of picking up the camera for the first time to where they are today, the photographer has made so many choices that lead to their creative life. Ron Lyons is a photographer whose career has had many iterations, beginning from his first forays into photography while serving in Vietnam, to his time as a freelance photojournalist and editor. Now he is the Photography Journalism Department Chair and Associate Professor of Photography at Los Angeles Valley College in Southern California, as well as an avid street photographer. Ron is a man who has been led by his passions. Some people think that following one's passion in life is a brave choice, something that they wish they had the courage to make for themselves. But for some, maybe even you, it's not about a choice. It's just who you are. Well, thanks for doing this. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Um, I think about you often, actually, because uh, your picture of Gordon Parks is in my living room. Oh, my. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because um, uh, we met each other through the uh, Black Gallery. Right. Um, and there was one time that they had this uh, fundraiser, this auction of, of photographs. And there was a picture of yours that you had taken of Gordon Parks. Okay, right. And uh, I bid for that and got it. Oh, thank so you. well, thank you. So it's in my living room. Because I met Gordon Parks at his apartment oh. when I was in college. Oh, no okay. In New and, York? Yeah, in New York. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I didn't ask to make his photograph. Because I was so nervous <laughs> around him. And it wasn't until I left, I went, I didn't make his picture. <laughs> and I met him a couple of times when he came out to L.A. and I made a couple of photographs of him, but mm-hmm. I was never happy with what I got. Right, right. You know, right, and when I saw right. your picture, I put a bit in, I got it, and it's like, so, yeah. Cause, Whoa, well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, it's good to hear that because you never know what happens with some of the photos that's out with, that's out there, you know. And, and I'm always uh, really happy to hear when somebody likes uh, a photograph, and uh, especially of Gordon Parks, that's uh, yeah. that's 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 one of my first inspirations and first heroes. And stuff. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was, you know, when you were growing up, did you grow up as part of that generation that 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 grew up with magazines, with photo magazines? Was that sort of your sort of entry into the world of of, of photography? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think I was born to be a creative person because, you know, uh, I always uh, find my downtime or when I wasn't, you know, throwing a ball or something like that. I would just be drawing squares or boxes or, or fooling around with drawing. And uh, uh, photography was never a part of my life as a young person. Um, um, but I was in a library all the time. I, I guess I was a nerd before they, they invented the word nerds. But yeah. I was in a library. Uh, you know, anytime I have free time, I was in a library. And you might know where this library is in L.A. on Budlong. I don't know if it's still there. But, you know, I'm 11, 12, 13 years old. And other kids are out hanging out. And I'm in a library. And yeah. Life Magazine and Look Magazine and Collier's Magazine and Ebony Magazine. I can't leave that one out. Uh, were just a big, huge part of my life. And, and yeah, absolutely. Was your family from L.A. or were they transplants from the Midwest or the show? No, I'm first generation. My family initially, originally were from Louisiana. But I'm first generation L.A. Mm-hmm. So what? So was your family part of that big migration? That yes. Happened? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So tell me yeah. about that. Well, you know, it's 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 very. I've thought about that more, much more as I've gotten older. Um, of course, I wasn't around when they came when yeah. they when they did uh, migrate uh, to L.A. But my you know, my grandfather was a very strong man, and uh, but I used to to challenge him when I was a lot younger and knew it all, right? Yeah. <laughs> because uh, he was a he was a plumber and he learned how to do his craft on his own and. 
learn how to root blue, uh, blueprints with only a third grade education. He's very, very uh, successful in the field that he chose. But he came here in the 40s just with his wife and his daughter, who ultimately was uh, my mother. And uh, he would go to work every day. That's where I get my my uh, work ethic from. I think he, you know all all of the time that I've known him in his life, he'd get up and go to work every day. He was always uh, you know a married man and always in church and and a very strong and a very strong ethical man and and uh, and was very strong inspiration for me. Um, uh, and so uh, I watched him work and. Um, I used to, and then he would just come home and he'd have his plumber clothes on or whatever he did on the weekend, he wore the same plumbing clothes, whatever. Except when he went to church, he was, you know, vying down, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I always felt like, well, why does this guy go and do something? Why doesn't he travel? Why doesn't he go to Europe? You know, the kind of things that I'd want to do yeah. I'm in my teens, right? And then as I got older, it occurred to me that the kind of things that he did uh, in the 40s and the 50s, uh, leaving his home in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, with just a wife and a kid, and uh, and a no more than a three, third grade education, and coming to L.A. Uh, with no job prospects. Of course, everybody everybody that came to L.A. at that time who migrated from the South were working in shipyards and working mm-hmm. for the railroads or whatever, and that's what he did. And you know, which is backbreaking work, but and, you know, that's what he did for his family. And uh, as I got older, it occurred to me, you know, I used to, you know, put this guy down because he never did anything or whatever, except pay cash for his houses and pay cash for his cars yeah. and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if, if I could have ever found the courage to do what he did in leaving the South and coming up to, to Los Angeles in the 40s and, and so on. So I developed a whole new respect, not only for my grandfather, who I already respected to, to a great degree, but for all of the people that made that, that move yeah. during that period of time. I mean, time. that was just, in retrospect, you, you think about, the risk people were taking Truth. and the, the challenge that you faced from basically uprooting, leaving behind everything you knew to come to a part of the country that was completely different. Yes. You know, in terms of culture, especially in terms of class. Yes. Um, certainly, you know, in, in terms of the South, they were, they had their own issues of, of race, right, but right, right. you know, uh, Los Angeles during that time was, had his own thing. That's right, which was different, on. but it was it was still significant, right? Mm-hmm. And but still trying to f- build the life for yourself out mm-hmm. there. I, mm-hmm. I, when I think about some of the challenges you know we face now, yeah, uh, there are still challenges. But to think about a whole generation of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. making that leap, sort of together. Mm-hmm. I think we, we, we when we see it now, we see it more as a sort of an individual journey. Mm-hmm. But back then, in various points of history, you had tens and thousands of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. making that choice mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I think that's, that's really fa- fascinating. And like you learned from your grandfather, you mm-hmm. learn uh, uh, an attitude or perspective on life that I think is kind of elusive today. Right. 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 So, right. so what, what were some of those arguments that you had with your, your grandfather when you felt like you knew it all? Well, well it, just like I, I, you know, I suggested is like, you know, um, a big trip for him was every couple of years he'd go to back to Shreveport, right, to yeah. see his family or whatever. I mean, that was it. I mean, and I'm, you know, I'm always, because of, of my adventure through the magazines and then the other big influence for me when I was a kid was uh, movies. So, you know, that's how I discovered there's another whole world out there. And, you know, and I knew that he had, he could, you know, afford to go and do whatever he wanted to do. He could afford to, you know, dress however he wanted to dress and, and travel anywhere he wanted to travel. And you know, at, at the at the vintage old age of thirteen or fourteen or fifteen years old, I can understand why he wouldn't want to do any of that stuff. You know, I mean, go to work every day, come home, you know, sit down, read the newspaper. That's why I started reading newspapers too, by the way. Uh, and and uh, and and I just couldn't understand it, right? Because you know, we think we know everything when we're yeah. you know young, but but it's only as I got older that I really you know changed my whole viewpoint when it came to who he was and, and why he did the things he did or didn't do. And, uh, you know, where, where I said, well, you, you know, uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to, and I'm going to be better than him and do this and that, you know? And then as I got older and thought about the kind of things he did with his life that mm-hmm. took so much courage. I mean, that, like you said, that took us 
such a, a significant amount of courage. And we, you know, it's hard for us to even put ourselves in that position because we don't have to deal with the challenges that his generation had to deal with yeah. now. You know, I mean, we have our challenges, but it's not even near what they had to deal with. And, you know, there are so many questions that, you know, I wish he was here now, and I recommend this to any young person who still has their parents. I don't have my parents or my grandparents anymore. But there's so many questions I would love to ask him now. It's like, why did you choose L.A. as opposed to Chicago or New York like so many other people did or Detroit? Mm-hmm. Why did you choose to come to L.A.? You know, I mean, I mean, it just what was it like for you then? Was it was how, how was it in the South for you personally and your family? And, and were there things that drove you to leave there? I mean, there's so many questions that I would love to ask now. That And what, that, what did your parents do? Well, my parents, uh, first of all, I never knew my biological father. And my mom was basically uh, just a homemaker. And uh, my mom basically was a single parent who raised six kids Mm. by herself. And so she, you know, worked for a post office for a while. And and, uh, she did what she could do to to raise six kids. And and we were very, very poor. Of course, I didn't realize that until I got grown. (laughs) (laughs) Until I grew up, I didn't realize because we always... You know, uh, we're clean and we always had food to eat. You know, she did whatever she she needed to do. And uh, we did have a stepfather. I'm not, yeah, My brothers, my siblings have a different father than I do. And uh, that she was married to that was just, uh, uh, just, you know, not a very good person and whatever. So, so, uh, so he's not even factored in my life anyway. And, uh, and he's gone now too, but. Uh, she struggled. She she struggled, and basically, I'm the oldest, so I really had to take a hand in helping her and raise my little brothers and sisters and stuff. That's tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're growing up as a kid yourself, but then you get burdened with that with that responsibility. Right. It it really colors how you are for the rest of your life. Yes. Yes. You know. Yeah. You struggle with being able to have fun. I mean, you, you talked about your grandfather going out there and making, <laughs> finding time to take these trips and really enjoy his, his life and his money. But did you find that as a result of having to learn how to be responsible adult, that that somehow uh, challenged your ability to be able to just be able to be selfish and, and just have a good time or just do what you felt like you wanted to do? Or Actually, actually, I think it's the opposite. Um, uh, and, and this is very hard to admit, but... But I do believe in candor in anything that I do. And uh, I became very selfish. Uh, It's just the opposite. Mm. Uh, uh, And part of of that, and I I don't want to jump to this necessarily right now, but part of that had to do with becoming a photographer, becoming an artist as well. Because it's, you know, once you commit to that life, it's a very selfish world that you live in. And uh, so I, you know, a couple of uh, marriages and a couple of uh, children from those marriages, uh, uh, they weren't successful. And I think a lot of it, again, in, in, in all candor, was because I did become very selfish. You know, I, 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 uh, uh, by the time I, I, I was ready to graduate high school, I couldn't wait to leave. You know, I joined the Air Force, the military, because I couldn't wait to, to leave and start my own life. Because I did know that there was another world out there. And, I, you know, because of my reading and, and, and so on and so forth. So, and I did want that love and I, that world, and I wanted it very badly. And, and I couldn't wait to leave. And uh, uh, I know it broke my mother's heart. And I know it probably made it more difficult for her. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, in retrospect, I would have done the same thing because I wanted, I wanted to have a life, and I wanted to have a, I wanted to do all the things uh, with my life that that I knew that there was out there and available for me to do. So, so yeah, I became very selfish, and uh, you know, uh, sometimes right now I, 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 I'm trying to think about that consciously yeah. in terms of relationships that I'm in now, or you know, even friendships or whatever. Uh, because uh, because I become you, it's easy to become very self-absorbed. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I mean that's I think that that's part and parcel of being creative. Because in some degree, you have to be selfish in order to make to make the work. Sometimes, mm-hmm. and you know, countless people have talked about trying to strike the balance, mm-hmm. but I don't think you ever really strike a balance no. i think it just teeter tots between back and forth and sometimes you make sacrifices and sometimes you don't mm-hmm. and you know what's right uh i think you can only discover in 
in retrospect when you're looking in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. at, at the moment, you're just trying to make the best choices that you can. Yes. And yeah. I know that choices I made, you know, 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't make today. Mm. But I think you have to accept the fact that sometimes you're going to have to make some hard choices. Yes. And that if you really want to be creative, you, you know, you have to recognize that that's, that's part of the price that we have to pay mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some people handle it better than others. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are plenty of stories of photographers who have sacrificed family mm-hmm. for the sake of their work. And then there are other people who have been able to produce amazing work and still have reasonable family family right. life. Right. But there's no one singular path towards it. But Right. Um, when you think back in retrospect in terms of that selfishness, mm-hmm. do you think that it was as necessary as it was in order for you to do the work that you needed to do? Did you sort of sort of feel like, man, I, I have to do this, otherwise I won't be able to live myself? Was that sort of the, 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 the thinking that you had? Or, you, or do you think it was completely unconscious that you just did and didn't even think about how it might impact other people? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I, I, I did make a conscious decision uh, to become a photographer. And I haven't made a conscious decision to work at becoming an artist. It came from inside of me, you know. Uh, I had a student once that said to me, they came to me and said, Rod, you know, I have an opportunity to go to Art Center or I have an opportunity to go to Cal Arts. And he's a very talented student, and he had an opportunity to do either one. And and I know he could probably, from what I know, he could probably afford to go to either one, mm-hmm. right? And he's very talented. And I, and I just quickly said to him, go to Art Center. And he says, well, why, how did you make that, that determination that quickly? You know, you know, I said, well, an artist, if you're going to be an artist, if you're going to go to Cal Art and you're going to be an artist, it's not a decision that you make. Uh, you don't make a decision to be art. You have to create art. Yeah. You, you have to, to want to be self-expressive and, and create art. If you want to make a lot of money and if you want to, you want to, uh, to do commercial work because you want to have a nice big house and you want to have a pool and a house with a pool in Malibu or whatever, you're, not going to, you're probably not going to do it doing fine art. I mean, people that do, clearly. But you don't make a choice about whether you're going to be an artist or not. It's, yeah. it's inbred. It's, it's part of who you are. It's part of who you are. And and so when I look back at it, it, you know, I look back and and I think about some of the times where you know when I was married and my wife wanted to go to dinner and she wanted to take a she wanted to take a trip to to um, some place where it's a nice island where she can you know paradise island where she can relax and take it easy and just and just uh, you know get the pressures of the world off her shoulders. And I I don't want to go there. I want to go to to Paris. I want to go someplace I can take pictures and you know, you know and 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 seriously we've had we had heated discussions about that. Because if 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 I'm taking a vacation, I have to be able to take a vacation where I can do photographs yeah. or I'm just not I'm just not going to be happy. And in situations where I was with someone and I did try to compromise or I was in a situation where I felt I needed to compromise my work, I just ultimately I just ultimately became resentful anyway. So I know it just doesn't work. You know, so Oh, the R word. Resentful. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. you know, that's yeah. what happens. And that know? stuff builds up. Yeah. That builds up. Yeah. Yeah. So so I just clearly know that um that the only time I could be in a relationship or even even uh, even with with friends they have to understand a creative process and they have to understand what goes on. If you're a creative person, you don't just, you know, think about like come to a job and you work eight hours a day and you right. go home, whatever. When you're a creative person, you're on 24 seven. I mean, I might be, I, I woke up this morning. This is no kidding. I woke up this morning about four o'clock thinking about a, a project, a photographic project, and it would not allow me to go back to sleep. Hmm. I, I didn't go back to sleep until an hour and a half later. And I mean, and so you keep a notepad by your bed and you keep a pen by the bed and you write down things, your ideas or whatever. And it's a never ending process. And if somebody doesn't appreciate the, the creative process and they're wondering why you're thinking about this while they're talking about that, <laughs> ultimately it's going to be problematic. Right. And so I just I just recognize that the person 
you know, uh, it, it's a, certainly a different type. It's like it's like a type A person who wants to be an accountant. That's a, certainly a, a, a personality type, right? And it's no, it's, we're not talking about right or wrong. We're just talking about this is this is the reality of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there are certain people who are just creative types, you know, and and then dis- different degrees, uh, you know, within within that. And so, uh, and I just recognize that that that. Uh, the creative process is a very unique process. Most people don't understand it. Most uh, uh, most people don't uh, uh, even if, even if you try to explain the creative process to someone that's not creative, uh, uh, it still doesn't. It's, you know, they might intellectually and on the surface of it say, oh, "Okay, I got it," but it, internally they don't. They really don't have it. You know, so you joined the Air Force, mm-hmm. so you're. Uh, was that the time where you started? Learning and practicing photography. What? How did that fit into this this creative life you eventually had? Can I tell you the story? I mean, yeah, do you yeah, mind? Tell me. I no, got no, stories go for everything, right? <laughs> I I went in Air Force uh, and uh, they made me an athletic specialist. You know, they they do these background checks, and I had a background in, in sports, and they made me athletic specialist. And so basically, uh, for my first year and a half, I was in. Two years, I was in. This is during the height of Vietnam, right? Yeah. Basically, I played baseball, and then during the off-season, I worked in the gym. Uh, so I had a pretty charmed life, right? Problem was, I got married, and, and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not going to be a jock. You know, I, I just knew at that point, you know, my arm was shot, and, and I knew I wasn't going to be a jock. And I needed some skills, something that was going to be able to uh, get me gainful employment once I left the Air Force. Right. And so there, right then, there, at that point in time, there were two opportunities for me. Uh, to cross train into one was uh, something called oh I can't remember the name of it now I, I wouldn't even try but the ba- basically it was looking for rust inside of aircraft wings using very sophisticated mm-hmm. scientific equipment but looking for rust inside the aircraft wings the other thing was something called precision photographic specialist now. Out of the two, precision photographic specialists was a lot more sexy yeah. than looking for uh, rust inside aircraft wings. But I knew the same amount about both. I knew the same <laughs> equally. Uh, I had an equal understanding of both, which was zero. But I went in photography, and ultimately, I went into uh, went to the uh, Air Force School of Photography, and uh, I fell in love. I fell in love. It's been a forty year. Uh, 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 Love affair, and that's how I got into well, it. You're describing a pretty technical application of photography, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem like sexy. Photography is certainly sexy, yeah. But you know, I can imagine the kinds of pictures that you're probably taking weren't necessarily so. But what what was it about the experience that made that just click with you? That made you feel like, oh, I've got to do this. What what, what was it? Wow. Did you pinpoint what it was? I can't pinpoint it, but it was the whole thing. It was everything. I mean, um, from learning, uh, well, first of all, it was something that I just had a natural interest in. Mm-hmm. And, and we go back to the early days that we talked about, and I was in a library and looking at those magazines. I had a natural interest in photography. I didn't realize it. And I didn't have a, I'm not going to say I had a natural interest, interest in photography, but I had a natural interest in photographs and mm-hmm. images. Yeah. Uh, and, and so then all of a sudden now I'm in an environment and, and the two never clicked with me and never said, okay, you really like images. You ought to start taking photography classes at school or, or, or whatever. I mean, in our home, we didn't, we didn't have those, that kind of luxury and we didn't have people at school that would make those kind of recommendations. You know, if you were a young black man, when I went to school in, in South Central LA, you know, if you weren't a jock or a musician, they, you know, they didn't have any mm-hmm. use for you period. So, uh, for the most part. So, um. Uh, so I, I love images and then all of a sudden now I'm learning this process to make images and everything about it. I loved, I, I love, uh, sensitometry. You're familiar with sensitometry, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. D log e curves and mm-hmm. D max and all that. I love that stuff. And when I was in school, I hated math. And all of a sudden now I'm in a military school where the instructors, uh, their success uh, is based on your success. If they, they, you know, they, they, their students are not passing. First of all, the student gets set back, which is not a good thing. Yeah. And then they get uh, 
put out in uh, in Vietnam or somewhere, you know, they lose their job. So they, they had a vested interest in you succeeding. All of a sudden, now I'm doing trigonometry and, 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 and geometry and all those kind of things that I felt like I was too stupid to do when I was going through uh, K through 12 or public school in LA. And, 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 and so everything about photography just, it just uh, uh, came together for me in my life. And, and, uh, and I loved it. I, you know, back in those days you shot, like you were talking about uh, shooting color slides earlier, you had color slides and you yeah. shot ectochrome. I, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but you had to, when you go to process ectochrome, there's a point where you had to take it out of the thing yeah. and you had to expose mm-hmm. it to jacket, light. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Or, or no, to expose it to light before they developed the chemicals later on where it oh, was no. a chemical change. I'm an old guy. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I love that. I love every part of it. I loved it. I just fell in love with it, you know, and I said, I, I found my calling. I wish I, you know, I read some of these guys, they started, you know, their parents gave me a camera when they were 11 or 12, you know, I didn't have that luxury. But when I did find it, I, uh, I fell in love with it. So you leave the, leave the air force. Mm-hmm. So how do you make that transition? I mean, cause you got basically your responsibilities as a, in the military uh-huh. and now you got a camera, you got all these skills. What do you do with it? Well, I think I thought I had, I had, I knew I had a camera and I thought I had all those skills too. So I thought I could just walk out and you know, I was in the air force for six years and I thought about making a career, but that didn't work out. But, um, I said, no problem. I got all these skills. I was doing all this photography. I did photography in Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I'll just go out and get a job. I know. I'll work as a uh, still photographer for movies, right? <laughs> so I went down to the union. That was like. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I didn't have I didn't have any relatives in the business. I didn't know anybody in the business. I mean, I that was. Uh, so So what happened was. Each level, each thing I decided I wanted to do photographically, I, rec- I, I was told I needed more education. So uh, the first level was an AA degree. I said, oh, you need more education. So I got an AA degree, and I went out the job search again, job hunting again. Now I was able to get jobs in labs and stuff like that. But, but in terms of getting jobs in photography, so I got my AA degree. So I, after I got my AA degree, uh, then uh, I was told I want to do work in photojournalism. I needed a BA degree. So I transferred to Long Beach State and got a BA degree. And then I, I you know, uh, after that, you know, and, and doing that for some time, and I realized I wanted to teach, then I went back to graduate school, you know. So every, so it's not like I just sat down and mapped out an educational path for myself or a photography a career path. It's like, you know, whatever I found that I needed to do, then I went back and, 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 and did what I needed to do to, to get that done. So during this whole curve you have in terms of improving your education what did you find yourself gravitating to in terms of your your photography were you photographing people were you doing stories were you working on projects or were you yeah what what, what were you into during that during that time well early on uh i always uh you know uh one of my again one of my uh early influencers uh and you'll hear me use that term a lot uh was ansel adams uh, not so much because of his subject matter, but because of his technique and his his adherence to technique and quality, right? And uh, so I read just about every book I could uh, with Ansel Adams. And one of the things that he talked about is photographing uh, things you're familiar with, you know, and that's why he loved Yosemite yeah. and he spent time there. And so I said, okay, well, I want to do that, but I don't want to do it in Yosemite, right? So what am I familiar with? And that's when I started photographing downtown and doing street photography, you know, which still is my passion is, you know, it's, it's nothing like, as you can probably relate to, it's nothing like being downtown and being a hunter, looking for that shot, looking for that photograph, looking for that spontaneous, that spontaneous moment and capturing that. And so the first part of my development as a photographer that I, that's what I spent doing. I mean, and, and it's, you know, it's it's one of those non-ending projects. I've been doing it since in the '70s, and I'm still, you know, go down at least once a month or or, or twice a month. And you know, now my focus is, excuse the pun, but now my my focus has changed in in terms of I want to pinpoint more things specifically. Like for example, where I used to just photograph downtown, or I used to just photograph Broadway. Now, you know, I've expanded it to just 
doing a project on on the alley, for example, mm-hmm. or doing a project on a Fourth Street bridge or Fourth Street and Sixth Street bridge or whatever the bridges. So it's more focused uh, now, but but ultimately, ultimately, it's always about the street photography. The difference is now, whereas most of my work has always been narrative, and I think that's because of my photo photographic, my photojournalism background, narrative, and I try to make it storytelling uh, at at some de- at some point. Uh, the work is evolving now to where, while storytelling is still important to me, mm-hmm. uh, now I'm focused much more. There I go. There's that word again. Uh, I'm 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 thinking much more about. Um, the uh, photography for photography's sake, you know, like the, like the French say art pour les art, you know, art for art's sake. I'm thinking more about, you know, what makes photography special and, and those tools, we don't have different brushes, different size brushes we can use or different uh, 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 paints that we can use like a painter would have, but we do have things like light and visual elements like line and tone and texture uh, and shape and form and pattern that we can use to make our photographs visually interesting. So while, you know, I still think in terms of what's narrative or, or, or and I love photographing people, I try to, right now, uh, my biggest thing is the, is the light. Yeah. It's all about the light, you know, so I try to find... Uh, visually interesting light. You know, one of the things I tell my students is that the thing that makes it, when we talk about it, whether a photograph is good or bad, well, depending on what school of photography you came from. Uh, I know when I was in art school and graduate school, you know, I get in these conversations uh, with uh, students who are always much younger than me and less experienced um, about the fact that, you, you know, you're doing fine art or this is fine art. There's no such thing as good or bad. There's no such, such thing as right or wrong. It's self-expression. So how can you, be, you know, be judgmental when if, if I'm just expressing myself about this? So if I, if I want to uh, uh, take this photograph of a brick and, and take the negative and put it down on the ground and, and step on it and come up and make a print, mm-hmm. well, then you can't say it's bad photograph because it's self-expression. Well, you know, I believe that, you know, I, I didn't agree with that because of my background, which is usually very structured with the military and photojournalism. Uh, and I said, you know, well, we it still has to communicate. You know, fundamentally, it has to communicate. It has to, you know, the, and when we say communicate, that person who's looking at that photograph has to be able to relate to it. Yeah, you're an artist and you're you're self-expressive and fine, but what happens to your work, or what happens with your work when when it's Nobody else can understand it or relate to it or you're not communicating anything. You know, it's just something to think about. And again, I don't get in a right or wrong. Somebody asked me the other day about if I ever, you know, rip my students if, or when they're doing something wrong or bad. You know, and I'm like, I don't do that. I mean, if it's a beginning student, there's some things fundamentally they need to learn. And, you know, in terms of composition or, or exposure or something like that. But even then, you know, I try to, you know, uh, put it in a way that 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 helps them just to understand why we're doing those kind of things or whatever. Uh, and, and, and basically the, the, the reason why we're doing them is to help other people be able to relate to your photographs. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to, to, to Broadway. Mm-hmm. Cause I've been photographing there for mm-hmm. years and we both mm-hmm. talked about growing up mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something about photographers often talk about photographs, the thing that you love. And I feel uh-huh a certain connection to that part of the city mm-hmm. that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. That it was part of what made me who I was as a kid and as an adult. Mm-hmm. And I have a real emotional connection, and I think that you have that mm-hmm. um, as well. And I, I want you to talk about that place from that perspective, because we could certainly talk about downtown and light and mm-hmm. you know all and all, all that other stuff mm-hmm. but i think that there's there's something about photographing in a place in which you have some emotional investment in mm-hmm. that allows you to make photographs that other people who don't have that wouldn't be able to make mm-hmm. um yeah that's something i might have to think about a little bit because when i go when i do go down to photograph and I think about photographing uh, L.A. and downtown L.A. It's 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 not something that's. 
I consciously internalize. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a feeling I have yeah. when I'm down there, uh, and it's kind of a a, a sadness uh, and a desire to 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 try to conserve what's left mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> of what I know and what I used to, what I used to know, and how it's how it's 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 changed in so many ways and and downtown LA is fascinating and 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 when i first started going down there it's just, it was just a matter of well yeah this is what i know and this is what i enjoy and this is what i get emotional reaction from so this is what i want to photograph but the more you do it and the more you 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 look around you really look you know that's what photography. Well, I should. I, I said that wrong. Well, you really see, you know, in downtown the the beautiful art and the architecture downtown. I know. I'm sure you've noticed yeah. this, but the bar relief art uh, in some of those buildings and some of the buildings, the gargoyles that are on some of those buildings, is it's like I've lived here all my life, and it's like I never, never noticed this them, stuff. Yeah. You know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's it's just uh, it's just it's it's a fascination, but. Uh, you know, I, it, it, that's probably as much as I've ever thought about it on an intellectual level because this, the subjects that I photograph that give me the most satisfaction are not the ones that I can think about on an intellectual level, but the ones that affect me on an emotional level, mm-hmm. which is much deeper. And, and of course, that's the most difficult thing to photograph. But, again, there, there are just things that, you know, the old Pantages building down there and, and the old Tower building. That's one of the places we used to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to go for the movies. And, and, and uh, fortunately, they did uh, uh, kind of um, renovate the Orpheum uh, down there. Uh, but, but, but I just see those places, and I, and I get a sense of my, his, my personal history, but I also get a sense of, of, of we need to conserve this stuff. We need to conserve the Los Angeles theater and the million dollar theater and all of those places. There were just these wonderful, great places. And when, when there was a downtown LA, they're trying to do it again, but it's, you know, we know when it was a beautiful downtown LA and people would come all over from all over, go shopping down there. When I I go out there, I would see small things, Mm -hmm. small Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. There were just hints of it. There Mm -hmm. was like this one sign that was in this little, sort of plate glass window in an alley that was in Japanese script. You know, uh-huh, it was uh-huh. probably back from, you know, the forties and the fifties. Right. And it was the only evidence that any, anything of Japanese ownership there. And I remember walking wow. down the street one day and then it was gone, uh, you know? And, yeah, it's, and, it's, and I think that part of my experience in terms of having such emotional connection to the place is that I just looked at things more carefully, small mm-hmm, details, mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. downtown, because for the longest time that place changed very slowly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it was like at a snail's pace. It's not like the last several years where everything is just like on cocaine. It's like <laughs> <changing> like, <laughs> you blink and it's gone. Right, right, you know? right. But it may be a value, especially the fact returning there over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again mm-hmm. made me look at the scene and the place more carefully. Mm-hmm. So I think to some extent, I was looking at it from the photographer's eye, mm-hmm. but I was also seeing it from a very personal point of view. Mm-hmm. And I think the marriage between the two mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. allowed me to see things that other people would not have considered worthy of a photograph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think it's kind of a, a, an important thing that people photograph something that they're passionate about. And it may not necessarily be a part of town, mm-hmm. but that, thing that whatever draws you to something mm-hmm. there's a mm-hmm. value to it that, mm-hmm. that, that you have to tap into as an artist especially mm-hmm. if you're a writer right you know oh, tapping absolutely. into all that um emotional stuff that you grew up with and finding its way to the page i think it's no different from a photographer but the mm-hmm. only difference is with a photographer you're having to work with every material that you have on, right. on the right. street right whatever it is right and you it's hard you don't have words that you right can it's just, hard to quantify between the two right right Let's talk about community because you talked about, you know, in your relationships, not always having an outlet to be able to talk about what you were doing. Where, where did you find that in LA? Well, lately, nowhere. <laughs> 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 but at, at one time, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I was very involved with uh, 
the Black Gallery and Roland Charles and and uh, Calvin Hicks and I and I think um, any of us who and I know you were too and I think any of us who uh, were uh, involved in that as a as a as a photographer who is black uh, really uh, recognize a huge void that's been that's been created uh, because. Um, uh, uh, when Roland passed away, I think what was it, two thousand four or something like yeah. that. Uh, there's, you know, that was our opportunity. We could go to the gallery and talk. We could go to the gallery uh, for uh, workshops. We could go to the gallery when they they had a special uh, guest in town, uh, like Roy De Carava. I'll never forget oh, that. Yeah, that, uh, was, that was that was a day. Yeah, it was it was huge, and and uh, we just don't have that anymore, and. Uh, uh, and and that's been a source of frustration for me. And a couple of times I've tried to generate enough interest to start some type of organization again for for people of color who are into photography. I know in uh, D.C. they have a great uh, organization. Uh, also in uh, Chicago, they have a great organization for photographers where they can meet uh, once a month. Uh, or so, and then have a nice big dinner banquet at the end of the year and give awards out. And I say, you know, this is L.A. We should be able to do this, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, and I know I know uh, a lot of photographers, right? Uh, but trying to get, get it organized has been just really a nightmare for me. But that's been... Yeah. That's been that's still a goal that I have to to get that done and you know kind of keep up with the legacy that Roland started. I couldn't be another Roland Charles. Yeah, I mean Roland. Um, I think about him often. Yeah, all oh, uh, same here. And and it, I wish more people knew about him and what he did because the mm-hmm. man was a force of will. Mm-hmm. What he created there is mm-hmm. was really unique. Mm-hmm. That community that he created for mm-hmm. photographers of color there. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the idea that he was able to create a space where Roland. Carava could come and hold court for an hour. Yes. I mean, I remember that day forever because oh. basically Roy was there and he was just in his element. And yes. He was talking to us and it was just amazing. Everything that came out of his mouth and everyone around him. Right. You know, right. was right. just listening. And right. It was, just, it was just, a, just a magical moment. And if it hadn't been for Roland being able to push through all the challenges that he faced in terms of maintaining that space. Right. And doing it, um, uh, we wouldn't have had that, right? And right. I'm eternally grateful for for what he created there, for his friendship, for his support. Mm-hmm. Um, having someone that in your life is is rare. It's rare. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you yeah. do have it, you know, you. I, I, I'm sad to say you don't appreciate as much as you do when it's gone. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't even find out about his passing until like maybe a year or two later. And I bumped into Willie Middlebrook, who was another one, right? And we were leaving some photo show at the convention center, and he told me, man, it it just, like somebody punched me in the stomach. I mean, you Mm -hmm. know, and and he left a a huge void, you know? I mean, and and I wrestle with this all the time. I mean... uh, I don't have any any racist inclinations or, or any of those issues, but uh, and I'm very comfortable with that. But I am very pro-black. I am very pro-African American. I just have to say it. Uh, and and it's just it's just still some huge gaps out there in terms of 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 us as blacks being included. Uh, in a bigger picture in in most of society and 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 that's in most of society and when you come to the art world it's even crazier right mm-hmm. i mean uh, i've been on panels judging panels i su- i submit work uh for competitions all the time i submit work for a gallery uh, uh jury de- exhibitions all the time and i've seen how it works and you know uh, very often it's, you know, people are looking and judging work and saying, well, well, you know, this, this piece and this piece and this piece is fine and this is fine, looks pretty good, but we have too many of this type of piece, right? Or we have too many of that type of piece or we don't have enough of this type of piece. This is not saying that we, we this is not all good work, but, but in terms of trying to make the show better or in terms mm-hmm. of trying to make the exhibition better, 
you know, uh, 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 so I guess what I'm saying is just to, to kind of have a little clarity here. Uh, if they have, if you have a, an overall show, there's just, you know, some gallery, bar, uh, the L.A. Cultural Affairs is doing a show or whatever, Barnesville Park or whatever, and they're looking at the work. Well, they're going to eliminate some work, some work maybe by black photographers, just because they have too many pieces that uh, that have to do with black culture. You see what I'm saying? And, 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 and you know, if they want to show this broad base or whatever, but, you know, I'm tired of being a 12%, right? You know, sometimes I want to be 100% or sometimes, okay, I don't have to be 100%, maybe 80 or 85% you know, uh, uh, in terms of representation, you know. So we need to have our own representation. And some of our students here, they have groups like, uh, not students, but some of our, they have groups like uh, Clickers and Flickers, right? Right. For a young person, a young, have you ever been at those meetings? I've been there, I wanted to. Right. For a young person who wants to get in photography, you're going to have a young uh, Hispanic or African-American person who wants to get in photography, they go to one of those meetings, it can be as intimidating as hell. Okay, and I know because at one time I was a young person and I went to professional photographers West meetings and all those kind of things. And, you know, maybe I'm a little different because I, you know, I was already, you know, been in the military or whatever. But we need a place where people can go and feel comfortable, you know, where they can learn, where they have people like yourself and myself who can really we can have workshops and we can have salons. We can judge work Mm -hmm. and. And we can we can uh, bring in speakers, you know, like you just talked about Roland Charles. I know Kurt McCoy from the Times and Gennaro Molina from the Times, and I know people who work with uh, AP, uh, like uh, Reed Saxon and Nikut and stuff. You can bring them in and talk and have them talk to the group, and that's the kind of stuff that we need to have in our community. And and like I said, other communities have it, and why don't we have it? And and that's that's becoming a passion for me. But, you know, like I had tried to jumpstart a couple of times. And, you know, I think what I have to do is just set up a meeting. You know, I'll go to African-American Museum in, in, uh, in Crenshaw Plaza and see if they have meeting rooms where we can mm-hmm. set up a meeting. Or maybe Southwest College and see if, you know, we can set up a meeting, a meeting room. And just say, okay, we're having a meeting. You guys, okay, you got to be here and stuff. So I think that's what my next step is is to do. But but I'm determined to do this. I, yeah, there's such a value to Seeing somebody, seeing somebody who looks like you doing it. Yes, I mean, oh. I, I, you know, because me growing up, I didn't see anybody like me yeah. out there doing doing that. And yeah. you know, when you finally get a chance to see it, it's like, I mean, when I saw Gordon Parks, that was like my first <laughs> awareness. And I was a little late in the game. I'm a yeah. I'm a child of the '70s. So yeah, yeah. Gordon was out out there doing a whole lot of stuff way before before I was doing anything. But it was just like, oh, he's he's writing books, he's <laughs> taking pictures. He's making motion pictures. He's composing music. <laughs> it just blew my mind yes. that, that I discovered discovered him as late as I did. But once I did, it yeah. was like a sort of a game changer yes, for of me. Course. Of course. So I think it's there's so much value to that. And uh, and, and and I I don't want to cut you off, but it's, but it's still it's it's amazing to me and it's sad to me how few people know who Gordon Parks is and how few people know who Gordon Parks is beyond Shaft. You know what yeah. I mean, uh, and what this guy has done. I mean, being a life photographer, life photographer in the forties. Good lord, I mean, just can you imagine that? But even even beyond Gordon Parks, and he's one of my first influencers too. As we talked about, uh, the book that I read to change my life from Gordon Parks was uh, called "A Choice of Weapons." Yeah, absolutely. Must uh, read. Must uh, read. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And and and. And young photographers, any young photographer that I talk to is going to know about who Gordon Parks is. But even more than that, and somebody who I rec- uh, who who is is probably much more influential than to me than even Gordon Parks uh, is someone we just talked about, and that's Roy De Caraba. Mm-hmm. And 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 the fact that nobody knows who this man is, you know, outside of our little world, yeah. is insane to me. This is one of the greatest photographers that ever lived. And I'm biased. I know I am. I don't care. But when you look at his prints and his work and what he's done. Amen. Amen. You, and who knows who he is? You, When you see a Roy Decarava, you just are so blown away because it's one of, you know, it's it's kind of like Ansel Adams. You hear about Ansel Adams. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see the print. You go, oh, that's what they're talking about. <laughs> it's the same thing with Roy's work because you look at that work and you go, nobody then or now, now. would print like this. Nobody. You know, people talk about you know your bright, detailed highlights, the shadows. That man, that man was like middle gray, 
the black. Yes. yes. And the fact that he could take a, an image with that limited tonal range yes. and make it work as yes. well as he did yes. blows my mind. Absolutely. I, I mean, um, I, I've, you know, I've, like I said, I had the Gordon Parks, uh, his latest uh, book there, catalog, and he autographed it as when he was at, uh, yeah. at CAM, you know, and autographed it for me and stuff. And it's there and it still looks really pristine. I had the catalog from the Roy Day Carabas show. Man, that book is all, pages are falling out and all that. And I looked on Amazon. I said I got to get another one, but they're they're not inexpensive. Yeah. But I'm going to get another one. But but the pages are. I mean, and I want to take the pages out and 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 frame them because they're just so beautiful. When I saw his show at LACMA, I didn't want to print anymore. I yeah. I did not want to yeah. print anymore. I'm like I can't print. I can you know. I can't print, and so, but, but people need to know who this who this person is, I, you know. And I'm, I, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't talk. I don't even talk about him in my classes. Not here, I don't. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't. It's, I can see my students' eyes just glossing over and stuff. You know, I wanted it so badly to get him on the show, and I tried and tried and tried. Oh, uh, no kidding! Able, I wasn't able to uh, to, to get him, and I, ha- I had his number for uh, the college where he was teaching uh, teaching at, and left messages and just you know i didn't have an in for it and i was always disappointed because i knew he would have been such a oh wonderful wonderful guest because that man what was amazing about him when we we had the privilege of being able to sit with him Mm -hmm. is that hearing him talk about what he did was unlike anything else because he was as passionate now i guess he was in his late 70s at the time that we met him. probably this was in the early 90s so yeah, probably yeah, so. Yeah, and he was probably as, so because he was ninety, what ninety three yeah. or something like that when he passed. He was as enthusiastic mm-hmm. and infusive as someone who had just discovered it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that level of enthusiasm and passion and clarity was just amazing. Yes. It was just like that's what I want to be. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I yeah. can't. I, I can't let this end without us discussing that picture up in the upper right hand corner. Oh, that! Uh, you have a oh, picture. <laughs> yeah, you have a picture of Rosa Parks, and I know you have a lovely portrait of her. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, tell me, tell me about that because I've never heard the story behind it. Oh, uh, you know, one of the things that I did uh, between jobs <laughs> is I started freelancing, right? And uh, I would never recommend that to anybody, but you know, if, if you can. It's good work if you can get it, I guess. And I've, I freelance for some of the local papers in L.A. And one of the uh, papers I was freelancing for was the uh, Wave Group of newspapers. And uh, the the best thing that came out of that for me, and I'm, I'm thinking about actually doing it again, to tell you the truth, because the best thing that came out of that for me was I had access. Yeah. You know, it gave me access to a lot of people and a lot of things, you know. So I could just take my street photography, what I'm doing, and now all of a sudden, you know, I'm photographing Rosa Parks and Gordon Parks and Jesse Jackson and 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 uh, Reverend Sharpton and you know all of these people and stuff. Uh, but uh, but I got an, they gave me an assignment. She was here for Martin Luther King's Day. I think this is like 1991, uh, and she was going to be honored there. And she was staying at some friends uh, uh, friends in the Arlington Heights area of L.A. And uh, so uh, I got the assignment to photograph her. And uh, it was like, you know, best time of my, mm-hmm. my, my life, obviously. And this lady was, is, is everything she's been through and all of the media stuff, and, you know, could, if you can just put yourself in her place yeah. and imagine. And she was as charming and sweet. I felt like she was my grandmother. Literally, literally mm-hmm. I felt like she was my grandmother. And she was just as sweet. And uh, so while the reporter was doing his, doing uh, uh, her interview or whatever, you know, I was taking photographs and, and, and Miss Parks in mind, whatever I was doing. And so, uh, and so because I was doing a portrait, I, I had some leeway, right? And so I asked her, uh, and I didn't want to do just that basic everyday uh, Rosa Parks photograph that you see all the time with her glasses on her looking right into the camera. So I asked her if she'd come and stand by the window. I don't have one up now, so i got to do all this stuff again. But you've seen a photograph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I asked her if she would come stand by the window and kind of hold her curtains back as, you know, we talk about her past and what she's done, you know, the significant things she's done with her civil rights and all of that. But I wanted... I, I had this idea of Rosa Parks with a vision of the future. So that's why we pulled a curtain, had a purple curtain back and just kind of mm-hmm. looking out the window. And of course, from a, from a 
photographer's standpoint, you can recognize this, the window just coming through, the, the light yeah. coming through the window and creating that nice uh, half light and uh, highlight on her face was just beautiful yeah. and stuff. And, you know, I asked her to do that, and she was a gracious as, you know, anything I would have asked her to do, she would have done. And she's just, she was just wonderful, just wonderful. Uh, that's uh, that's clearly, somebody asked me the other day uh, what was the best uh, uh Photograph I've taken, or what photograph did I take, or what assignment did I have that I enjoyed the most, and that was clearly, clearly it, without yeah. a doubt. Uh, she's one of my heroes, but she was, you know, I, she could, she, you know, it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been surprised if she had been, you know, mean spirited or bitter or you know, uh, short tempered or any of those things because you know, uh, the kind of things she's been through. Please, yeah. she was just, she was a wonderful person. But let's talk a little bit about what you do here mm -hmm. at Valley College. Okay. What's, what's your role here? I'm a professor of photography. Right now, I'm the only photographer in the photo. I am the photography department. <laughs> at one time, we had uh, four adjunct photographers as well. Uh, but budget cutbacks. We've had to. We've lost so many classes because of budget cutbacks. And uh, so basically, I'm it now. I'm trying to to build a program and. Uh, uh, and now it seems like things are turning around with the budget a little bit. So we're trying to, we want to add more classes. We want to, you know, hire faculty back and uh, trying to build a program. But right now I'm it. And uh, so we teach, uh, uh, right now we have two basic uh, digital photography classes and uh, and we, we have a beginning photojournalism class and we have an advanced photojournalism class. And so that's what we have going on, going on right now. But uh, Hopefully we can expand that. Uh, Do you work with uh, with them on the paper? Yeah, I'm the photojournalism advisor for the paper. Okay. And uh, uh, for 12 years, I was the journalism. We had a journalism department. I was journalism department chair, and I had a much bigger role with the paper. Uh, and uh, uh, it's it's funny when they hired me. They hired me as a photographer and a big a photography instructor. And the biggest mandate I had, and this is in 2000. Uh, the biggest mandate that I had was to to make the transition from traditional photography to digital photography, right? Which is all of this stuff out there. You said with the computers and all that stuff that wasn't here. We mm -hmm. had to reconfigure this whole room. We had to go through all, you know all kind of um, mechanisms to be able to buy computers and buy equipment. And so we made that that choice. But after I was here for not even a full semester, the department chair at that time, who's the journalism instructor, resigned and put in his resignation. So all of a sudden, after two semesters, now I'm the department chair, right? Uh -huh. And so now, and, and we the uh, newspaper had been uh, so poorly poorly produced that the academic senate was threatening to uh, eliminate the student newspaper. And so we had uh, a huge burden uh, to uh, turn a newspaper around, to upgrade all of the systems, in the, you know, in the photography department and the photo, uh, journalism department, or what have you. I had to hire a new journalism instructor or whatever. Uh, and uh, in the next, over the next 12 or 13 years, we won uh, journalism uh, a, a, a community college awards for for general excellence for our paper. Our paper is probably one of the best uh, student papers in the state, or at least it had been. Uh, we got a proclamation from our board of trustees in our district. We're the only school in our district to do that. And so uh, one of the things that my big thing was, and, and one of the reasons why I took such a leadership role is, first of all, I was a co-advisor for the newspaper at, at – uh, Santa Monica College before I came here, so I already had experience at that. But they didn't know that when they hired me. And they didn't hire me to do that. And then also I was a managing editor of the Sentinel. A lot of people don't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. It's not something I go around bragging about, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish it was. In fact, I th when I took that job, I thought I was going to be there, would be, uh, be there forever. But uh, I had... Uh, some uh, personality conflict with the publisher. And if you're a managing editor and you have a personality conflict with the publisher, it will, somebody's got to go <laughs> and it's not going to be yeah. the publisher. Uh, but so I had that experience too. So it was a, it was a no brainer for me to move over and, and put in systems uh, for the paper and whatever. So we made a turnaround and in a couple of years we won general excellence. And then 
I think we won our first general excellence in like 2002, 2003, and then we won every year after that. And I was uh, four years on the Journalism Association of Community Colleges board. And the last two of those years, I was the president, uh, faculty president uh, of statewide uh, Journalism Association of Community Colleges. So, so, and I became I became inv- involved initially with that uh, because of the way they treated photography. Right, if you get a bunch of journalists uh, uh, and photography together, it's like oil and water. Uh, and uh, and I don't know what your experience has been with this, but I even know when I was working, I worked. My first job was with the Daily Breeze. Uh, it's just the uh, yes, Daily Breeze now it used to be the South Bay Daily Breeze. And the one thing that used to I used to hate is when a reporter would come to me and say, or or I hear a conversation where a reporter talked about, well, my photographer this or my oh, photographer oh, that, yeah. or go out on an assignment and they'll say, well, I think you should get this shot, or I think you should get that shot, right? And that would drive me absolutely crazy, and I had to yank a couple of chains behind that. So, so our philosophy here is that. Uh, we train our photographers and our photojournalists uh, that they're reporters too. And they have, you know, I mean, it's incumbent upon them to recognize that they have a responsibility in the newsroom to come up with stories, you know, to follow up on stories, to, to uh, uh, because it all begins with them uh, and, uh, being uh, respected is that, they make other people respect them. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like, I don't know if you remember, it's an old TV show uh, uh, called Lou Grant. Lou Grant. Right, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You remember Animal? Oh, yeah. Uh, that used to drive me crazy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Animal was his long-haired photographer, right? Long-haired mm-hmm. guy, and he'd just be hanging out and stuff. The only thing, I'm sure if it was a different type of TV show, if it was a cable TV show now, they would have had him smoking joints most of the time. Uh, but he was just as irresponsible, you know. Oh, I'll, I'll get around to, I'll do it. And that used to drive me crazy, you know. And I'm because, and I think that's the attitude a lot of people have about photographers and photojournalists. And uh, and I, you know, I uh, I hate that, you know. And we try to instill in our people here that, you know, you're a professional and you have to act like a professional. If you want to get people, other people in the newsroom to respect you, you have to act like a professional. Yeah. And of course. Now, back in those days when we were doing it, uh, you know, we would go out and do an assignment and come back into this magical dark room that nobody knew anything mm-hmm. about. And when we come out with pictures and nobody knew anything, how we got them and nobody wanted to know, right? Well, now, you know, that line is the line between photographer and rep- reporter, like we were talking about earlier, is, is blurred so much that these uh, reporters can take their, 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 their cell phones with their cameras in there and go out and get a shot and come and upload it in uh, Lightroom and, 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 and they're done. So, so photographers have to have, you know, take their game to, sorry, take their game to another level as well in terms of what they're doing as reporters and what they're doing as, as, uh, as story uh, tellers, you know, uh, and, and, and that's a big emphasis for us here. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend Another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Does it have to be a photographer? If you want to uh, give me someone else, fine. You know, I, I would like to give you someone else uh, because they've been very helpful to me, and I think right now there'd be somebody that uh, that uh, has an important story to tell but is the name Aaron Bryant familiar to you no. at all? Aaron Bryant is the, I don't have the his whole title out here, but he's the photography curator with the new Smithsonian. Uh, okay, let me get this right. This, this new uh, Smithsonian uh, branch called the um, National, National History Museum of African, wait, National, okay, I got it. National Museum of African American History and Culture. Okay. Uh, and they're supposed to open next, they're in Washington, D.C., and they're part of the Smithsonian Institute, and they're supposed to open next uh, next year, 2016. And and he is in touch with a lot of photographers, and, and we've been, you know, negotiating for a year and a half. They just accepted some of my work in their collection, into their collection, uh, and... Uh, he would be a, a, I think, a great person for you to talk to. Oh, right. Aaron, I can give you his number, and I can give you all his contact information. But Aaron Bryant, and he's 
good guy and a hard worker, and they're doing some great things there. Uh, I look forward to finding out more about them. Okay. Uh, so where can people go to find out more about you and, and what you do? Well, my website, uh, RoderickLyonsPhotography.com. Uh, you know, nowadays, a photographer, you're not a, a, a photographer if you don't have a, 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 a internet presence, right? So uh, RoderickLyonsPhotographer.com, uh, Facebook, uh, Roderick Lyons Photography, uh, 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 Twitter, at Rod Lyons, <laughs> I mean, you name it. Uh, and uh, I'm there, LinkedIn, uh, uh, just about all the social media sites I'm on. And, and yeah, I'm not doing anything with it in terms of, uh, you know, promoting my work. It's just, uh, you know, keeping my name out there and mainly being accessible to other people. It's amazing how many people have contacted me through, you know, some type of social media or through my website. And, you know, uh, so any one of those, uh, you can you can uh, contact me. And then uh, I do have a number of different uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, Rod, uh, Roderick Lyons, not Rod Lyons. Okay. Uh, Roderick Lyons uh, and uh, a number of uh, different uh, things on YouTube. That, well, I have links for all that stuff on the website. <laughs> well, Ron, <laughs> well, thank you for making that. time for you and for me and... Uh, it was nice to catch up with you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, it was my pleasure, and it's good seeing you again. We have to keep in touch, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Thanks again for joining me. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting thisweekinphoto.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is the candid frame.